Our friend Warren Rogan from the Sports Forgotten Heroes podcast joins us to talk about another bonus edition of the jersey number 56. And we have one big name at the top. Let's see if you can guess it before we start speaking about it. And just wait just a moment. You'll hear our top 10. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the universities of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we are podcasting from America's North Shore, bringing you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So in taking the snap from the SportsHistoryNetwork.com and handing off to PigskinDispatch.com, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey, Darren, thanks for having me. You know, whenever you talk about uh, these numbers that have great giants, for some reason, I'm on the invite list. I, I realize that. I see you, you had your jersey number 10, number 11, recently number 53. I think we've got you down for a few more after uh, number 56 here also. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, 56 is one of the uh, greatest numbers in the history of the Giants. So I am thrilled to be able to uh, talk with you about that number. I, I can't even imagine who you want to talk about 56 for the Giants. Yeah, you know, just some some guy with these uh, – all you have to say is LT, and it's not uh, uh, the LT from the West Coast. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Well, uh, we'll start off here with our Hall of Famers. The Pro Football Hall of Fame tells us uh, there are seven players that were number 56 during their career, and they made it into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. And they are, you know, LT, Lawrence Taylor, number one up there, uh, Chris Dolman, Andre Tippett, Ted Hendricks, Bill Hewitt, Dante Lavelli and Joe Schmidt, and uh, some great players on that list. Yeah, I have all seven of them, how can you not, in in my top ten. And I'll tell you, this is my top ten, counting down from backwards. Okay. Keith Brooking at number ten. I have Derek Johnson at number nine. I have Pat Swilling at number eight. I have Dante Lavelli at number seven. I have Joe Schmidt at number six, Bill Hewitt, five, Andre Tippett, four, Chris Dolman, three, the Stork, Ted Hendricks, two, and LT, obviously, number one. And like we've done before, Darren, you know, some of these guys, I'm only ranking them based on what I read. I was unable to, you know, I didn't get to see some of these guys play. So it's it's purely a judgment call with guys like Schmidt and Lavelli and, and Hewitt. But, um, you know, I remember when Hendricks played for the Raiders and I remember watching Chris Dolman play. Um, you know, these guys were, uh, they are, I remember watching them play and so I have them ranked high. And I, and I think Ted Hendricks, is a legit number two, without a doubt. Yeah, uh, well, I looked at it just a little bit different. I had three different names than you. I left two of our Hall of Famers off, and uh, one of them was Hendricks because he only wore that jersey for one season, 
Uh, that was with the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. And he, he did have five interceptions at linebacking position, was sort of right yes. in the middle of his career. Yeah. Yeah. And I left Hewitt off as well from a Hall of Famers. And yes. I believe the other one I had that was different was Derek Johnson. I didn't have him on my list. But I, I went from going backwards. I had Al Wilson, uh, John Morris, Keith Brooking, Hardy Nickerson, Dante Lavelli, Pat Swilling, uh, Joe Schmidt, Andre Tippett, Chris Dolman, and then Lawrence Taylor at number one. You know, it's funny you said Nickerson. Um, I, I I was looking at his numbers. He 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 could one hundred percent be on that list. Um, he was a terrific player. Actually, played at Northeastern University. And my brother played at Northeastern University. My brother was a kicker and um, had a good story around him. He played soccer, went into the uh, football coach's office and said, hey, I'm going to be your kicker next year. And the coach told him to get lost. And every day my brother would go there. And finally, just to shut my brother up, the coach said, all right, come on out to the field. Let's see you kick. And my brother was just walloping the ball. And the coach said, you be here for practice. My brother only got to play one season. Northeastern, I don't even think, has a team anymore. But during that one season, my brother set all the school records for kicking. Wow. That is an impressive story. Yeah. yeah. So, so I could, I, you could sway me very easily on Hardy Nickerson just from the uh, – uh, uh, the nostalgic uh, and, uh, point of view. And, and I'm not even talking about Harvey Nickerson when he was a Steeler. I mean, because all of his uh, his Pro Bowls were as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. He was yeah. definitely a better Buccaneer than he was a Steeler. Absolutely. And he was pretty good on the Steelers too. But uh, yeah. you know, he, he had uh, a bunch of those uh, Hall of, or, uh, Pro Bowls that he had played in. Sure, sure. Oh. So how do you want to do this? You want to start at number 10 and go backwards? You want to start at number one and go forwards? How do you want to do this? Let, let's get the good stuff out there. Let's, let's get the, well, the top player. All right. I mean, you know, I, I don't think anyone can argue the fact that the greatest number 56 of all time is Lawrence Taylor. I mean, you, you, you really think about it and he truly revolutionized the game of football from that position. I don't think any player on the field today that um, plays the same position that Lawrence Taylor plays is better than Lawrence Taylor. I mean, the guy was the guy was in a positive sense of the word a freak. I mean, what he did and the way teams had to plan for him is just incredible. And he helped turn around a franchise that was one of the downtrodden franchises of the NFL for so long. And um, he was really, truly a special player. He, um, yeah, I wrote down a couple of things about Lawrence Taylor. And I remember watching, I had the NFL network and I watched the programs on NFL network. And I remember there was this, uh, team meeting with the Patriots and somebody brought up the name Lawrence Taylor to Bill Belichick and, you know, compared that player. I forget what player they were comparing to, 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 to LT and Belichick goes, oh, stop, stop. Don't you, you're talking about LT. Don't even bother. It's, there's no comparison to be made. He was the greatest end of discussion next. And Interestingly enough, I saw another thing with Belichick and somebody brought up J.J. Watt. 
And Belichick said, you know, maybe you could maybe say something about J.J. Watt, but you're talking about Lawrence Taylor. Just stop. Yeah, I, th- I think when I mean, you just said earlier about him being, you know, argue, there is no argument that he's the greatest 56. I think you can make that same argument. He may be the greatest defensive player ever in the NFL's history. But, I, yeah. I, 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 I think you're on to something, Darren. Like we said, he revolutionized the game. You couldn't stop him. And, and one of the things um, I remember hearing was Mark Schlereth, who played for Washington and Denver and, and a couple of those teams say so he had to play against LT when he was with Washington, he had to play against him twice a year. And he said it was virtually impossible to play against Lawrence Taylor. You couldn't run away from him. You couldn't build your offense to run away from him because he was just too fast and he'd get you. So really the only game plan Washington had for LT was to run the plays at him. And Schlereth said, I knew it was going to hurt, but, you know, what else could you do? I knew it was going to be physical. And Washington thought the only way to neutralize Lawrence Taylor was to run at him, keep hitting him, and wear him down physically and hope that that would slow him down. But as Schlereth said, in the end, that really didn't work out too well either. Yeah, yeah. just ask Joe Namath how that worked out, huh? <laughs> or I'm sorry, Joe, Joe Theismann. Joe Theismann. Joe Theismann. That's, yeah. I, I remember watching that game, and, and what, a, what a just an absolutely horrible thing. Um, yeah, I mean, awful. You know, one of the other guys that used to have to line up against Lawrence Taylor all the time was – Ron Jaworski, and I vaguely remember a story, and and it it might not be 100% completely accurate, but Jaworski is under center, and one of the things he would always do when he was playing the Giants, the first thing he'd look for is where's LT, and he scopes out the line, he's looking over the line, he's looking for LT, doesn't see him starts barking out the signals, and all of a sudden, LT is there. He winks at Jaworski. Jaworski called timeout. <laughs> completely, completely threw him off his game. <laughs> um, that's the kind of player that LT was. I mean, his stats, his stats, I mean, I wrote them down. Um, some places report he had 142 sacks. I see the, the, the most accepted figure, though, is 132 and a half. 1,089 tackles, 56 forced fumbles, nine interceptions, played in two Super Bowls, won both of them, 21 and 25. He was the NFL, not Defensive Player of the Year, not MVP. He was the NFL MVP in 1986. Three times NFL Defensive Player of the Year, 81, 82, 86. He was the Defensive Player of the Year in 1981, He also won Rookie of the Year that year, eight times first-team All-Pro, two times he was a second-team All-Pro, 1980s All-Decade team, 75th anniversary team, 100th anniversary team. What else can you say about the guy? And I found this. 
Um, here's this website called heavy.com. I'm not very familiar with it, but when I was doing some research for this episode of, uh, of, of the pig skin, uh, uh, the pig pen, I mean, um, they had this article called the most dreaded opponent of all time. <clears throat> and two, two guys, uh, uh, chimed in um the first guy said fact michael jordan would challenge you both mentally and physically and do everything he could to beat you defeating him when he was at the peak of his powers was near impossible hmm. but he wasn't lawrence taylor who struck actual fear into the players he faced. Football is a far more physical game than basketball. While Jordan could embarrass opponents with his sheer athleticism, Taylor could physically dominate opponents and make them concerned for their well-being. He was scary. He was a force of nature. He inspired dread more than any basketball player could. And the other guy said, I'm going to keep this short. A short. Opponents feared losing when they played Michael Jordan. Opponents worried about their health when they faced Lawrence Taylor. That's a big difference. That will keep you up the night before games and afterwards too. Yeah. Wow. That, that is definitely something to think about. You know, you can, uh, you know, again, you go refer back to Theismann, you know, and, uh, you know, probably Jaworski too. I'm sure they had some aches and pains, you know, Theismann with the horrendous uh, leg injury, but uh, sure. Sure. You didn't feel good the next morning and, you know, Shalareth and all the other blockers that had to go up against him. Cause he was a beast. He and, was, uh, he was, uh, you know, and as a Giants fan, I feel fortunate, very fortunate that, um, I was a Giants fan during uh, LT's career. I got to see him at his greatest. Obviously, uh, unfortunately, he he had, maybe still does, I don't know, so many um, off-the-field issues, not criminal issues, but just, you know, he, he battled with uh, some demons. And um, he was just a special player. Just yeah, he, a special player. And like you said, he might actually be the greatest defensive player of all time. And if he's not, he's definitely top three or four. No, no doubt about it. Yeah. I, I've heard uh, you know, referring to that 1981 draft that, you know, Taylor was taken number two by the giants. Dude, I, number one was George Rogers. Right. And I, that draft I've heard of maybe the, the biggest one that if anybody wanted to do over, it'd be new Orleans, uh, Take doing redoing that draft, yeah. And, you no know, knowing what they know now, because uh, yeah, he was definitely an impactful player. Uh, not that George Rogers was a bad player, but he wasn't wasn't LT. That's LT sure. LT changed. He was a transformative player. He completely changed. He stepped on the field, and the Giants were a different team. He made them a contender by himself. He really did. I mean, he yeah. was. He was able, you know, you look at some of those NFL films and 
watching LT play and, you know, he played, I remember, in a sling and they still couldn't stop him. He was playing with one arm and still just could not be stopped. He was, he was great. Yeah. Absolutely great. I mean, just think, I think we talked about it when we had Jersey number 53, you know, when uh, teams would say, okay, we're going to try to double team block on, on Taylor. It would open up Harry Carson, you know, and we talked about Jersey 53 and, and helped him out and helped out some of the other giants teammates. So just the game plan to either, you know, Washington wanting to run at him. And there's probably a lot of teams that did that and, or, you know, you know, put a tight end with a help a tackle or whatever they're, they're doing uh, just changes the whole scheme of that offense and sort of takes them out of the rhythm. Plus he got through the blocks. So, so it still yeah. had an impact. Yeah. It was just, it was crazy. Now I do have, well, well, um, there, there is one other good story and it's about another guy that's in, in our top 10 with LT Okay. And that's Pat Swilling. So I, I just happened to catch this the other night. They were doing a show on NFL Network, uh, Bill Parcells, Bill Parcells. And he tells a story about Pat Swilling in LT. Swilling wore number 56 for the Saints. And for whatever reason, LT had trouble against Irv Pankey, who played left tackle for the Rams. Prior to a game against the Rams, Parcells put a plane ticket on the stool outside of LT's locker. He puts this plane ticket to New Orleans. LT sees the plane ticket and he asks Parcells, what's this ticket for? And Parcells told him, well, since you don't play well against Irv Pankey, I'm sending you to New Orleans for one week to play for the Saints in exchange for Pat Swilling, their number 56, because he's better than you, especially when it comes to Irv Pankey. Well, <laughs> LT was not exactly happy, and he went on to have one of his best games against the Rams and sang, uh, sacked Jim Everett twice. <laughs> that is interesting. Parcells was definitely a motivator. He knew what buttons to push on you know, each player to, to get the best out of them. Uh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So, yeah, that's, that's a sign of great coaching. Great story. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a fun story. I, I, you got to love watching some of that stuff on NFL Network. They're, Most they're retrospective pieces on – on uh, the different players and teams are just so well done and, and so much fun to watch. Okay. Yeah. So definitely LT number one, I mean, have a lot of facts there, a lot of great stories and uh, you know, he's pretty much speaks for himself. Now um, I think did we both, or you had somebody different as your number two, you had. Um, yeah, I had Ted Hendricks. You can actually put Chris Dolman number two as well. I, I you know, they're a flip-flop and look, Hendricks, I, I listed Hendricks number two, and I get it. He only wore 56 for one year, and that was in 1974 with the Green Bay Packers. He was actually number 83 for the Colts and the Raiders. But with Green Bay, he's just a great player, and the fact that he wore 56 got me to think, and I said, you know what? Yeah, it's a tough call. Is he a great 56? Is he one of the greatest 56? Well, the fact is he was one of the greatest 
players ever, you know, linebackers. He wore 56. He wore it for just one year with the Packers. And in that one year, he had five interceptions, a fumble recovery, a safety. He blocked seven kicks, three three field goals, three punts, and an extra point. He had 75 tackles, two knockdown passes, two sacks, was an all-pro. I mean, he was a great 56. Even if it was just for one year, it showed what he would have done had he wore 56 his whole season. Um, He's an interesting story because the second half of his career with the Raiders – was where I knew him best. And uh, he was, he, you know, uh, he played with the Colts from 1969 through 1973. And, and he was traded by the Colts to the Packers. And after one year with the Packers, he signed a contract because of the money with the Jacksonville Sharks of the World Football League, the WFL. Um, However, the league didn't make it two years. It went bankrupt. And um, Al Davis got his rights by trading two first-round picks to Green Bay. He knew how good Ted Hendricks was, and he wanted him. Well, Hendricks wound up in the Hall of Fame in 1990. He's an eight-time pro bowler. He played in seven AFC championship games. He played in four Super Bowls. He won with the Colts, and he won with the Raiders twice. No, he won with the Raiders three times. He won four Super Bowls. He won with the Colts against the Cowboys and won three Super Bowls with the Raiders. I mean, the guy was just, he was great. And that's why I have him as my number two, even though he only wore 56 for one year. I mean, you make a compelling case for him. Maybe you might change my mind there. Maybe I'll, I'll put him on that list then. So so let's, let's go ahead and do that. Let's have uh, so we have LT is on our list. Ted Hendricks is on our list. And I think we're both going to agree. Probably our next one we talk about is probably Chris Dolman. Uh, yeah. Another, another great player. Yeah. I mean, Chris Dolman was just flat out. Great. Um, he wore 56, his entire, his entire career. He played with Minnesota, San Francisco and Atlanta. He was elected into the hall of fame in 2012. Uh, you know, the guy was a menace, uh, played defensive end and linebacker, uh, 150 plus sacks, eight interceptions, recovered 24 fumbles. He led the NFL in sacks in 1982 with 21, uh, had a couple of safeties, was an eight time pro bowler. Uh, three times he was a first team all pro two times a second team all pro he was the NFL defensive player of the year um, in 1992 I think it was and um, he was 1990s all decade team I mean he 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 helped transform the Vikings into one of the best defensive ball clubs during the 1990s. He was, he was a stud. 
Yeah, he definitely was. And, you know, he was probably considered one of those, uh, the new purple people eaters, you know, he, they just uh, had some good defenders on that team and he sort of had led the uh, class there and very yeah. impactful again. Uh, you know, these, uh, you know, outside linebackers, defensive ends, you know, depending on your scheme, he, he could play both and, uh, you know, he'd, he'd probably fit right in in today's game. You know, yeah, no doubt. I think I think he 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 came in the same mold as LT. Um, he he played the same style as LT. I think. I mean, he was fast. Um, you know, it was very difficult to to run your offense away from him. You sort of had to run it at him, and he was big too. If I remember, he was a pretty big dude. Yeah, he, he's listed at coming out of college at six foot five, two hundred and eighty nine pounds. That's yeah, real big for a defensive end or an outside <laughs> linebacker, especially. He wasn't small. He was not small. Yeah. Wow. That's almost uh, offensive lineman size there, you know? That's yeah. Big, big guy. And he was fast. Yeah. And strong and strong. All right. Well, that uh, seals up three of our top 10. Now, who did you have as your, your fourth player on your I list? actually put it Andre Tippett. Okay. And I had him third. So good one to talk yeah. about next. Yeah, you know, another guy, a linebacker, uh, played um, with the New England Patriots throughout the 1980s. Um, I don't think he's as well-known or, um, yeah, he's just not as well-known, doesn't get the recognition that an LT gets, that a, that a Hendricks gets, that a Chris Dolman gets, because he played with a team that, frankly, just wasn't that good for all those years, um, wore 56 his entire career, had 100 sacks even, excuse me, um, 19 fumble recoveries, had two touchdowns, you know, and again, New England just wasn't that good during his heyday. He played with the Pats from 1982 through 1993, and in that span, they only made the playoffs three times. But, but he was a part of the team that went to the Super Bowl in 1985. Of course, they got stomped on by the, uh, by the uh, Chicago Bears that year. Five times he was a pro bowler, two times all pro, twice second team all pro. He was the defensive player of the year in that 1985 season. Um, he had 16 and a half sacks that year, four fumble recoveries. I think he is the all-time sacks leader in New England Patriots history. Hmm. Uh, 1980s all-decade team, and he was elected into the Hall of Fame in 2008. Um, he was really good. He was really good. He was great. Yeah. Um, can you imagine what would happen if Andre Tippett would have been on a Belichick coach defense? Oh. You know, that's... Uh... I mean, it'd be lights out. I mean, those hundred sacks are probably, you know, amplified by some uh, unknown number, but much greater than a hundred, I'll bet. But, yeah. I know. mean, yeah. Uh, he was, wow. Yeah. He, he was another good one. Okay. I, I think he's definitely on our list too. So that, that takes up four spots. Uh, where, who did you have next on your list? So this is where it sort of gets a little cloudy for me because I didn't get to see these guys play. Um, so I sort of did my own self-analysis. 
with, you know, evaluating who they played for, what they did, the results of the teams. And my number five is Bill Hewitt. And he played for the Bears and the Eagles. He uh, was elected into the Hall of Fame in 1971. He was also an end, a receiver. And he led the NFL in touchdown receptions. Uh, and really, that's where I think he, he probably made the biggest name for himself. So he played a little defensive end, but he was mostly an end. He was mostly a receiver. Uh, he led the NFL in touchdown receptions with only five, and it was in 1934. But, of course, you didn't throw the ball like you do today. Um, he had a career high of six in 1936 for his entire career. He had 23 touchdown receptions. He did rush for one. Um In 1933, he also threw for three touchdowns. Um, He won the 19 – he was part of the championship team with the Bears in 1932. And then in 1938, he was part of the championship team with the Eagles. Four times he was all-pro first team, twice second team – He was on the 1930s All-Decade team and the 100th anniversary NFL team. So, you know, if he's good enough to make the NFL 100th anniversary team, he's definitely good enough for my top 10. Well, I think you changed my mind on him also because I I sort of looked at that. I was sort of gauging, you know, the amount of all pros and uh, pro bowls or all-star games that they made. And that's sort of what I was using, especially these players, you know, like Hewitt and, uh, you know, Joe Schmidt that again, I, you know, I didn't watch them play either. Um, oh, you didn't. I, I thought you were around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm not that old and I don't have a time machine. So no, I, I did not, was not able to watch them, but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, if he, if he made the NFL's 100, there's a, uh, bigger experts than you or I that are, are studying what he did. And I guess that, that definitely puts him in a top 10 for a Jersey number 56. And, so. and that's exactly why I also have Joe Schmidt up there. He is also a member of the NFL's 100th anniversary team. And, you know, he played with a team um, that, that, we don't think of as being a very good team anymore. He played with the Lions, and when he was with the Lions, he actually won two NFL championships with the Lions in 1953 and um, 1956, I think it was. He played with the Lions 53 through 56. Yeah, he was elected into the Hall of Fame in 1973. During the course of his career, he recovered 17 fumbles, including eight, in 1955, he had a career in which he intercepted the ball 24 times. Eight times he was first-team All-Pro. Twice he was second-team All-Pro. He played in 10 Pro Bowls. He was 1950s All-Decade Team, 100th Anniversary Team. He was the NFL Defensive MVP in 1960 and 1963. His number 56 is not only retired by the Lions, it's also retired by Pittsburgh, the university, Hmm. uh, where he played his uh, college ball. And he also coached the Lions. His career record with the Lions 
is 43 wins with 34 losses and seven ties. And, you know, the Lions are just, you think of the Lions today, if you're a coach with the Lions and you could finish your career at over 500, that's saying something. I uh, coached them for six years. His best year was 1974 when the Lions went 10 and four. The last year he was with the team, they went eight, five and one. So I have him as my number six. Yeah, I, I had him at my, as my four spot because he I thought he was right up there with the impact of you know the maybe not LT but the you know Dolmans and uh, Tippett and uh, probably probably Hendricks. He was just in his era, just a tremendous player. And like you said, two different teams retired his jersey number. So yeah, yeah. definitely having Joe Schmidt on our list. So that that's going to take our sixth position uh, of our top ten. And who, who did you have next on your list? Dante Lavelli. Now, now Dante is um, interesting because not only did he play in the NFL, he started his career in the AAFC. He played with the Cleveland Browns. Um, his rookie year, uh, he led his league with 40 receptions for 843 yards. Over the course of his career, he had 62 touchdown receptions his high was in 1947 still in the AAFC when he had nine and he also had a career high of 49 receptions that year he was elected in the hall of fame by the way in 1975 he helped the Browns to the 1950 NFL championship of course that's the first year they played in the NFL after those four years or yeah, four years in the AAFC. He also won the NFL championship with the Browns in 54 and 55. Three times he was a pro bowler, 1940s all decade team. And that's saying something considering he didn't start till 46. And that was really with the AAFC one. Like I said, four AAFC championships, 46, 47, 48, 49, Twice was all pro, you know, all all first team AAFC. Uh, twice he was second team AAFC, and the guy was just a champion. Here we said he won four times with with the Browns in the AAFC, won three times with the Browns in the NFL, so that's seven, and he won a national championship with the Buckeyes in 1942, playing for Paul Brown. Eight championships, pretty good. Yeah, not too bad at all. I mean, uh, maybe almost like Tom Brady-ish uh, there with the amount of championships. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely a great player. I, I had him on my list also. And uh, definitely, I think he's going to eat up that, that seven spot here on our list. So, okay, now we're, I think things are going to get a little bit more interesting. Yeah, was- this is where I think you and I, uh, uh, we, we, our, our paths took different, uh, different roads here. Well, I think we have one similar because I think we could probably agree. Uh, Pat Swilling's probably yeah, I our first Pat Hall of Famer that should non Hall of Famer that should be on that list. Yeah. Um, now he played with New Orleans for seven years, played with the Raiders for three years and played with the Lions for three years. And like I said earlier today, um, he at least caught the eye of Bill Parcells, um, you know, with that story about him and Lawrence Taylor. And, you know, yeah, he is not in the Hall of Fame, and he had some pretty good stats. So it's it's really interesting. Um, he led the NFL in sacks in 1991 with 17. He had 107 and a half career sacks. 
six interceptions, one touchdown. He had 11 fumble recoveries. Um, but I think um, maybe part of the reason – oh, you know what? He was the NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 1991 as well. But um, I think the fact that he played in New Orleans – and at the time, New Orleans just wasn't the perennial – playoff team they are today this is just when new orleans was becoming a playoff type team he he did go with new orleans i believe it was no twice twice he went with new orleans to the playoffs and twice with the lions um he never won a playoff game so you know i i don't know how um those who elect players to the hall of fame go about it uh he was a five-time Five times he was in the Pro Bowl. Twice he was all team, all 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 pro first team. Twice he was all pro second team. So you know, I think there can be a compelling case that Pat Swilling is one of those guys that have been overlooked for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think I definitely agree with you. Um, you know, he played on that that same line. You know, Ricky Jackson, Pat Swilling, and Sam Mills, and I believe. Uh, is Jackson the only one that's in the Hall of Fame? I, I know uh, Mills yeah, isn't. Jack, yeah, he might. He might be. And, and those were that was a fantastic linebacking core. You know, they don't get much better than that. That's uh, no, and, and 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 like Dolman and like LT, you had a plan for him. You could not you could not ignore him on the field. He was he was a pretty devastating player too. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, you know, I think uh, he definitely takes that eight spot on our top top ten, and. Now's maybe where we start getting a little bit of, uh, you know, deliberating and uh, maybe not seeing eye to eye. And we got to talk each other into for these last two spots. Cause. Uh, All right. So you go of- first, you tell me who you have at number nine or the player that I've skipped. Well, I I'd have to go back and say probably the next player that we didn't both have, or that you haven't talked me into yet. I'd, I'd say Hardy Nickerson is the next one I would put on there. And um, make a case for him. Like I said, okay. you don't uh, take much to convince me. All right. You know, you know, Hardy Nickerson, he spent his first uh, four seasons as a Pittsburgh Steeler, and he, he definitely had an impact there. I'm sorry, he had more than that. He had, uh, oh, geez, he had six years with the Steelers, and they were just uh, you know, sort of searching for the next great linebacker at the time, and he, he really filled the bill on that. But he did not make a Pro Bowl with the Steelers, which I found kind of surprising. His first year with Tampa Bay was 1993, and he ended up being all pro, and he made the Pro Bowl. And, uh, you know, for his career, he had uh, 21 sacks, which wasn't the biggest part of his game, but 1,272 solo tackles, you know, not combination tackles, solo tackles. That's a big number for for anybody. Um, You know, uh, the five times total is in the Pro Bowl, twice as an All-Pro. The Hall of Fame chose him as the All-1990s team as one of their linebackers. And he wore that 56 for, for quite a few seasons, too. And that's that's just some of the, the evidence I see. So ten total seasons were in fifty six. That's the evidence I, I present, and uh, you know, those tackles really stand out. Yeah, you know what? He you 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 could be convincing me. The guy I had next was Derek Johnson. He played for the Chiefs for thirteen years and the Raiders for a year. He finished his career with twenty seven and a half sacks. He had fourteen interceptions and four touchdowns eight fumble recoveries. He had 1,171 tackles. Four times he was a pro bowler. 
first team all pro in 2011, second team all pro in 2015. And, you know, he played at Texas. And when he was at Texas, he was pretty darn good there, too. He won the Buckus Award. He was a Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. He was twice he was an All American, three times uh, first team All Big 12. But Hardy Nickerson also won a Super Bowl, right? He won yeah. the Super Bowl with with um, the Bucks, and he was part of a great defense there with with um, Sap. And um, was that also a Derek Johnson there? Uh, no, um, I can't Derek, think. Derek Brooks was it? Derek Brooks. That's it. Derek Brooks. Um, you know, I could I could see putting Hardy Nickerson in there in in the top ten without a doubt, without a doubt. You, you know. I, I've looked at Johnson real hard, and I got stuck between him and another player that had very similar numbers, Keith Brooking. I am Brooking next. And uh, they, they, their stats are so similar. I think Johnson had a little bit more uh, sacks, but I believe Brooking had more of the, the Pro Bowls, if I'm not well, mistaken. I have, I have Brooking. Um, he, he finished his career. He played for 11 years with Atlanta, three with Dallas, and one with Denver. 13 interceptions and 10 fumble recoveries over the course of his career. Um, over 1,400 tackles. Five times he was a pro bowler, and he had 22 sacks. So he, too, um, you know, he's on the fringe there. Who was the other guy that you had, or was that the only difference we had? Well, no, my, the other one that I had, I had two other that were different. And I, I took the center, John Morris, because his, his numbers were tremendous at, uh, you know, as far as Pro Bowls. And I had Al Wilson, but Al Wilson, you, I think you talked me out of Al Wilson. He d- didn't have the numbers that even uh, Brookings and uh, Johnson had. So I'm, I'm, I'm willing to drop him up. But John Morris is, a, is an interesting one because. Tell me about he, John Morris. Well, he was a, a great center, uh, came in the league in 1964 with the Boston Patriots in the AFC, uh, of course, turned over to the New England Patriots in the 70s, and then played uh, three years with the Detroit Lions and one final year in 1978 with the Chicago Bears. But he was a seven-time Pro Bowler, uh, once as an All-Pro, and now, I, can, I can remember this guy. He was an impact uh, at the center position. You never really hear about centers, but you know, I, I can remember watching in the seventies and people talking about him. And you know, one of the guys that uh, we would watch just to watch, you know, his blocking. And I wasn't even a, a Patriots fan or a Detroit Lions fan. So it's, uh, but I think he had an impactful career. And I just sort sort of threw a center in there because he was another good player and change it up from the linebacker core. You know, <laughs> I, I you know what. I'm going to I'm going to switch my top 10 and include Morris and include Nickerson. You've convinced me. You know, again, offensive linemen, their their contributions statistically are so very hard to measure. Um, you know, there's just not a a great statistic to measure them by with the exception of how many times were they all pro or are they in the hall of fame? And like I told you, I, I, I was Nickerson is a guy who I believe in um, again, the Northeastern connection with my brother. So a little, uh, little Homer there, but you know what he did? He won a super bowl. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go Nickerson at nine and Morris at 10. 
Goodbye, okay. Derek Johnson, and goodbye, Keith Brooking. <laughs> yeah. I, no longer worthy. <laughs> I don't know that they're not worthy, but I mean, they're, they're, they're both a tough call. I'll tell you. Yeah, I, yeah, it's a, I, I it's stare a, at those games. 53, where I think we struggled a little, 56 yeah. has got a lot of great players. And, and there's a lot of players we didn't even mention, you know, just a, a substantial players, you know, like Doug Smith and, you know, Len House and uh, um, Robin Cole. Um Chip Banks, you know, some, some great players, but they just didn't have those, those uh, hall of or, uh, all pro and pro bowls and the, the tackles and the sacks and everything that the, our top 10 has, you know, it's just, uh, that's, that's a, that's a tough number in a different way. You're right. 56 compared to 53. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, it, again, it's um, um, so many good players wore 56 and are and and in today's game are wearing 56 and um you know uh some of them are being retired so we won't see uh 56 like we have previously and there was a couple of my my Steelers I couldn't even put on there you know Ray Mansfield and Lamar Woodley you know were great number 56s for the Steelers but they they just uh didn't even compare to to our top 12 top 14 guys even you know yeah, so I mean, you know, there's some other guys on here too. There's one, uh, you know, just re- recently uh, left us. You know, not left us that way. Uh, left the game. Uh, Carlos Dansby. He, oh. he he's done some damage. Um, John Offerdahl. I mean, I remember him. Um, Jeff Lagerman. He was he he pretty darn good as well. Um, Lance Mel. He was really good with the Jets. Um, there are some, there are some, like you said, chip banks there, you know, 56 is a, is a proud number. Let's say it is a, you, you gotta be good to wear 56. Sean Merriman, another guy that wore 56. I mean, you know, he, he had a heck of a career with the, uh, with the chargers and today Quentin Nelson with the Colts. I mean, He's really good. You have to plan to play against Quentin Nelson. So there's some, uh, there's some definitely, there are some really good number 56 out there even today. Yeah, most definitely. Well, I mean, I think uh, even I'm glad we talked about those, you know, another dozen or so players that uh, we didn't even have a great long discussion on because they were definitely substantial. And uh, that's definitely what this is all about. We want to, capture those most substantial players of each Jersey number and at least mention them. And, uh, and we're sorry, some of those couldn't make the list, but you know, any other number, if they, if we're talking 53 is probably half those guys are, are in the number 53 no list, no but, doubt. Uh, but 56, that's a, that's a difficult number. That's right up there with like 10 and 12, you know, that's Absolutely. a lot of great players. There are certain numbers where, you know, whoever wore that number, they, they, they had to be great to wear that number. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I thank you for, for helping us choose that. That was, that was a good one because we had some good discussion and some deliberation there and uh, switching some numbers around. But before I let you go, uh, can you tell us uh, what do you have cooking and coming up on the uh, Sports Forgotten Heroes series? Sure. Um, I have a show coming up right now on Zach Wheat. He was a uh, uh, an outfielder for – at the time when he first got there, they were the Brooklyn Robbies, and I can never pronounce the 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 other name, the 
sa sa saba superbas or something like that. <laughs> then they finally became the Brooklyn Dodgers. By the way, short for Brooklyn Trolley Dodgers. Um, but Wheat was a great ball player, 300 career hitter, Hall of Famer, over uh, 2,800 career hits. And it's uh, my guess is a guy by the name of Joe Neese, who I've had on a couple of times, including a football podcast about uh, Gus Doré, who was a great uh, uh, football coach. And then um, right after that, my next podcast is about two ball players um, who played in the uh, uh, 19. Teens, the 1920s, the 1930s. One's a guy by the name of Howard Emke, who um, a an official scorer should have given, and it actually admits he should have given an error to the fielder, but he didn't. And had he given that error to the fielder, Emke would have been the first baseball player, the first pitcher to throw back-to-back no-hitters. He had a wicked arm, and um, he set the record for most strikeouts in a World Series game in 1929 when he struck out 13 and 12 were swinging. He was a heck of a ball player, and that was for the Philadelphia Athletics. His teammate at the time, uh, one of his teammates at the time, is a guy by the name of Jack Quinn. Jack had an absolutely marvelous career he pitched. If you look at baseball reference, they say he was 49. No one ever really knew his name, but my guest, Steve Steinberg, who along with Lyle Spatz wrote a book called Comeback Pitchers, um, they show that he was actually 51 his final year. And Jack Quinn was a – he was – just this solid human being. He was six foot five about, just built and was never hurt and believed in staying in shape all year round. He wasn't like the other ball players of the day who when the season ended, they went home and did whatever. He would be practicing in a mirror, his throwing motion. And he played He played for the Yankees. He played for the awful, awful Red Sox of the early 1920s. He, too, played for the Philadelphia Athletics. And um, it's a great story about the two of them. Jack Quinn, Howard Emke, my guest, is the author of a terrific new book, a co-author of a terrific new book by the name of Steve Steinberg, who's been a guest of mine previously. Name of the book is Comeback Pitchers. And I think everybody will really enjoy the, uh, the story we tell. Wow. Yeah. Those sound like two great episodes there. Or was there three episodes in that? It's two episodes. Two episodes. Okay. And one is on Emke and Quinn. Okay. Okay. It's two players in one episode you're talking about. Yeah. 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 I mean, we just really enjoy, uh, your episodes. I'm, I'm sure all the rest of the listeners have had a chance to go over and check out sports forgotten heroes. Uh, your favorite podcast uh, provider has them on there. Also sports history network.com. Um, but the, uh, the basketball player that got traded for Chamberlain, uh, Archie. Oh, wow. What a, what a great episode that is. And actually have the athlete himself on there uh, telling his story along with an author that wrote a book about him. That was yeah, tremendous. Lauren. That was really yeah. great stuff. And uh, yeah, Bob Cuska is the uh, author. 
I got Archie on there and Archie has a terrific story, a really good story. You know how he um, he brought the shake and bake move to the NBA, the step back to the NBA, traded for Wilt Chamberlain. He was a key player in that trade. Some say the worst trade in the history of the NBA, but the trade was going to be made. And then what he did off the court, fighting for the rights of players to get better contracts is truly a, uh, it's really a good story. And then he goes into the details about the, what, what crazy travel schedules these guys had playing four days in four cities, you know, could be an afternoon game, in just, you know, the, the weather that they had to go through and the conditions that they played in, the arenas that they played in. It was a different game when he played. And that and we're, we're not talking really that long ago. We're talking the late no. 60s, early 70s. Um, really good story, and I hope people get a chance to listen to it. Yeah, and, and once you do, those uh, forgotten heroes are forgotten no more because Warren does a great job of uh, bringing us in uh, some remembrance. And uh, maybe, you know, some of them I've never really – heard of before and you really brought us some great um recognition to them and uh they're they're forgotten no more so we we thank you for that podcast and uh, preserving this uh, great sports history that we all enjoy yeah it's it's a lot of fun yeah and once again warren thank you for your time and for coming on and i think we have you signed up for to do jersey number 60 so we'll be talking to you soon on that if you're uh still go on that all right well we'll talk about it okay all right thanks warren Take it easy, Darren. Thank you. Warren, thank you for your time and for coming on. And I think we have you signed up for to do Jersey number 60. So we'll be talking to you soon on that if you're uh, still a go on that. All right. Well, we'll talk about it. Okay. All right. Thanks, Warren. Take it easy, Darren. Thank you. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.